I love that. I love that you're clapping along. I feel like I'm on like the Marilyn Dennis show or the Ellen DeGeneres show. Or, you know, the audience is, you know, participating. Uh, that's always fun. I just want to ask you this morning, just think back to a moment where you were experiencing joy. Think back to a moment. Hopefully it wasn't too long ago. So hopefully you can think of something recent. You're experiencing joy. What were you feeling in that moment? You know, who, who were you with? You know, what environment were you in? You know, what were you doing? What brought you joy? Well, this week I was putting my laundry away. And <laughs> that's not what brought me joy. I'll, you'll see in a minute how I got it. But I was putting my laundry away and I realized that I really don't have enough room in my closet for all my clothes. Now, I, I know most of you are thinking right now, it's probably, Jared probably shares a closet with his wife. And so the reason for that is probably that the closet's not divided 50-50, you know. It's probably like a, you know, like an 80-20, you know, situation in the closet. But that's not really the reason, uh, you know. I'm just glad to have space in our closet. For many, many years, I was relegated to the spare bedroom uh, closet. But, uh, you know, now that the kids are growing up, they have their own. So now I'm, I'm squeezed into our closet in the master bedroom. I'm just thankful to have a closet space. But, but really, the, the issue for me is that I have too many things that I'm not wearing right now. Anyone you can relate to that? Like, how many have things? And, and the thing is, I just moved. So that means I just purged. And yet I still have too many things. How many know you have things that, like, you know, maybe the style is just not quite right. And, and you're waiting for it to come back, right? You got some stuff like that. And, you know, you probably got some things that, you know, they're just not quite your favorite. You know, they just don't make it to the rotation very often. Uh, and then you probably have some things that, that you're going to fit into again one day, right? <laughs> right? And so we, I got some stuff like that. And, uh, and so I, I'm trying to put my, my, closet, my clothes in my closet. I realize I don't have enough room. Where's all the stockpilers at? Anyone, you're a stockpiler, whether it's your, your pantry or your garage. You just keep everything because one day you might have a use for it. Anyone, anyone married to a stockpiler? Put your hands up proudly if you're married to a stockpiler. Okay, we need to know who you are because at some point we're going to need something and we need to go to you because you're going to have it at your house, right? Stockpilers, they're different than sentimentalists, right? Sentimentalists, they just keep everything because it just brings back all the feels, you know, all the memories, right? You can't let go of anything, right? Uh, but where's like the ruthless purgers? Where's the ruthless purgers, right? You just get rid of things without a second thought, right? It, it's got to go. It just brings you so much joy. I, I was away on a missions trip one time, and uh, my wife, she was always, you know, like she has her spaces, and I always assume that the garage is my space, you know? <laughs> I assume that, but I was on a mission trip and I called her one day and she was like, oh, what are you doing, babe? And she goes, oh, I'm just in the garage with Carrie. <gasps> I said, no, not Carrie, right? Carrie is a ruthless purger. And so they were in my garage and they were purging stuff left and right. I was, Tell Carrie to get out of my garage, right? I'm gonna need that stuff one day. Well, if you're a purger, I just gonna throw this out there. We just put a, a cleaning day on the calendar on Tuesday, August the 23rd. So if you wanna come help us purge around the church, uh, we'd love to have you. 
You know, I've heard different strategies how to organize and purge, you know. I've heard if you haven't used it in six months, get rid of it. Uh, I've heard if you have duplicates of it, you know, get rid of one of them. Uh, You know, I've heard the rule for gifts that you don't really want or like. You know, if you ever got a gift that you didn't really want, you got to keep it for one year and then you can get rid of it. You know, there's lots of strategies. But I heard another strategy a couple years ago. And I used to have a friend and she was an organizer. That was her business. She would go to people's homes and help them learn how to organize. And so she told me uh, about this strategy that's become a a viral strategy thanks to a Netflix uh, hit, especially during the pandemic, called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Anyone ever watched Marie Kondo? Yeah, okay, we got some fans here. All right, so Marie, I don't know if it's Marie or Mary, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, she teaches us how to organize and declutter our lives by keeping things only that spark joy. Things that spark joy. And so I thought Marie could teach us a little thing today in church, uh, how to know if something sparks joy. Would you roll that video as Marie teaches us today? When you touch an item that sparks joy, your body would respond this way. On the contrary, when you touch an item which does not spark joy, you would feel... Try it with each and every piece of clothing you own and see if the item makes you happy now. When you touch an item that sparks joy, your body would respond this way. On the contrary, when you touch an item which does not spark joy, you would feel... Try it with each and every piece of clothing you own and see if the item makes you happy now that they should remain with you my closet this week and I was touching things, you know, waiting. And I honest to be, I, I didn't feel anything. I just got rid of some things that were stained and didn't fit anymore. But that's just for you. That's going to help you. You're going to be in your garage. You're going to find your spouse out there, you know, hugging things out there. I don't know. What sparks joy for you? How many know that what sparks joy for you might be different than it is for other people, right? How many spark, you just hug the cat and you're like, ding. Right? Any cat lovers out there? Some of us are like cats. We're like, vroom. right? I don't know. Right? Dog lovers. Uh, anyone love a good roller coaster? Does that bring joy to your face? Right? How many of that brings terror? <laughs> some of us, we love sports. That brings joy. Others of us, it's books. And uh, some of us, we just love the pumpkin spice flavored anything. Just, ooh, so much joy that that brings. You know, I, I kind of understand what Marie Kondo's getting at, you know. There's some things in life that just bring a smile to your face. It seems to spark joy. Uh, Melba Colgrave, she says this, Joy is the feeling of grinning on the inside. Joy is the feeling of grinning on the inside. Well, if you're just joining us, we kicked off a new sermon series last week. Uh, we call it Juicy Fruit. And in this series, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. 
So over the summer, we're going to be looking at these nine characteristics that Scripture describes as evidence or the byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so last week, we talked about the idea that Paul wasn't just making a list of godly characteristics uh, uh, to compare ourselves against. This isn't a checklist where we just go, you know, okay, I'm just going to check off the ones I'm, I'm crushing it in and circling the ones that I need to grow in. Uh, well, we talked about that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the the character of Christ produced by the Spirit of Christ and the followers of Christ. So this isn't about trying to work harder at modifying our behavior. How many know that you can uh, act loving or joyful or kind on the outside and still feel something different on the inside? Right? We can control how we react outwardly, but we don't have control over how we feel or respond inwardly. And, and so that's the partnering that we do with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we let the Spirit lead our lives. We're in partnership with what God wants to do. And so I want to let you know this morning that Jesus wants to spark joy in you. How many know that Jesus wants to spark joy in you? Yeah, I, I heard you this morning. Some of you were already getting there. But there's the thing is you don't really know what's inside of you until you get squeezed, right? You don't really know, uh, find out what you're producing until you're under pressure. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 15, verses 9 to 11. John 15, if you have your Bibles, you could turn there. We're going to turn there and then we're going to turn to Acts in just a moment. John 15, verse 9, Jesus says this to his disciples. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, and just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, just in case you're not aware or you need a refresher this morning, the context for this verse is Jesus talking to his disciples during the Last Supper. Uh, he's talking to them, and, and these are the last 48 hours leading up to the cross, and he's preparing his followers for what's going to be one of the most difficult and tumultuous seasons of their lives. And so he's really wanting to instill in them some final thoughts to hold on to. And here he's talking about the idea that they can still experience joy in the midst of hardship. Now, this isn't the plan that they'd signed up for. When they had left everything to follow Jesus and abandoned their old lives, this isn't what they signed up for. Their lives were literally about to be turned upside down. They were on this roller coaster of emotion. They were on a roller coaster of doubt. They were on a roller coaster of fear. Have anyone ever ridden that roller coaster with all of its ups and downs? You know, you could be having at the time of your life. You could be at the, the top of your game one moment and then the next day find yourself hardly able to get out of bed because you are paralyzed with fear or doubt. You know, our culture is obsessed with pursuing happiness. We really want to spark joy in our lives for ourselves. And yet, the, most of our culture has this um, tension of dealing with discouragement and despair. That's the daily struggle of our inward lives. You know, as a, as a civilization, we've made more advancements than we've ever made before. We're, we're advanced beyond anything and any time we've ever been in history. We're the most connected technologically to each other than we've ever been. We have more avail, uh, information available at our fingertips than, you know, previous generations could even think of. And then we have entertainment available on demand nonstop. Right? We're further developed than we've ever been, and yet we have the greatest number of antidepressants. 
The greatest number of anti-anxiety medications prescribed in history. Suicide still remains one of the leading causes of death, especially among young people. And so something's not adding up. We are developed and yet we are digressing into ourselves. How many know that God hasn't designed and purposed us to just endure life? But he wants us to live an abundant life. Jesus wants to spark joy in us. See, he doesn't want us just to get by or eke out another day. He wants us to be thriving. He says, I want you overflowing with joy. The question is, how do we keep grinning on the inside even though things are spinning on the outside? That's what I want to talk about today a little bit. If you turn to me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to follow, uh, catch up with some of Jesus' followers just a few years after this conversation that they'd had with Jesus. And not only had they found joy in themselves, but they'd also found a way to spark joy in others during one of the most unsettling seasons of their life. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. We're going to read a long chunk together, so... Bear with me. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now as we look at this passage, we see three groups of people. We see uh, this slave girl and her masters. We see Paul and Silas, the followers of Jesus, and we see the jailer. And each group had their own reasons for being joyful. Uh, we see with the fortune teller's crew that they had a good thing going. It says that business was good. There was a lot of money being made, and, and because of that, their, their future was secure and looked wealthy. They were in a good place. We look at the jailer, who also seemed to have a good thing going on. We learn later that he had a family that he was likely proud of and loved to spend time with. And also he had the achievement of having worked himself up the ladder at the Corrections Institute where he worked. He had come to this place of a management position, of responsibility and authority and power. And so in talking about joy this morning, we have to make sure that we don't make the mistake of assuming that only Christians experience joy, because that's not true. Everyone can experience joy. We have joy in times of celebration. This is like wedding season. Anyone got a few weddings you're off to? You know, we experience joy in, in birth and in graduations and our promotions. We experience joy in decluttering our closets as we find those things that spark joy in us. You know, everyone can experience joy in celebration or even in achievement. That satisfaction of reaching your goal and overcoming your obstacle. Everyone can experience joy in sharing deep relationships. You know, whether it's that long-time fr friendship or that significant other or being with your children. 
Uh, Merriam-Webster describes joy as this, a noun uh, that means the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Overall, the majority of Canadians uh, report feeling a general satisfaction with living life. And yet many of these same people who have these possessions and achievements, these experiences and these relationships find themselves looking for something more. I don't know if you remember Andre Agassi, who was a tennis number one ranked tennis player at one point in time. He was an eight-time Grand Slam winner, Olympic gold medalist. He was in the top 10 of all career wins of male tennis players. He's an internationally known name. And in his memoir, he writes about the first tournament, the Grand Slam tournament he ever won. He, the first time he ever won Wimbledon. Wimbledon is the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. And so he writes about winning this tournament in his memoir. And listen to what he writes. They say my victory at Wimbledon forces them to reassess me, to re- reconsider who I really am. But I don't feel that Wimbledon has changed me. In fact, I feel as if I've been let in on a dirty little secret. Winning changes nothing. Now that I've won a slam, I know something that very few people on earth are permitted to know. A win doesn't feel as good as a loss feels bad. And the good feeling doesn't last as long as the bad, not even close. The next person who phones me is a reporter. I tell him that I'm happy about the ranking, being number one, that it feels good to be the best that I can be, but it's a lie. This isn't at all what I feel. It's what I want to feel. It's what I expected to feel. It's what I told myself to feel. But in fact, I feel nothing. Merriam-Webster makes this mistake that a lot of people make of equating joy as a synonym for happiness. Happiness is really a response to what's happening around us, but joy is something much deeper. See, while everyone can experience joy to a certain degree, the Bible is telling us that the Spirit of God produces a supernatural uh, and a unique joy that's different than anything else that we can experience. This isn't a joy that's based on our surroundings or our experiences or our, our possessions or our circumstances. This is the Holy Spirit sparking joy in us. Galatians 5, we've been saying this is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life. Turning our attention back to Acts 16, we have these followers of Jesus who are partnering with the Holy Spirit. And let's read in verse 25 what happens to them. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that very hour of the night, the jailer uh, cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household 
were filled with joy because they all believed in God. This morning, there's a couple myths about joy that I want to juxtapose with some things that we see in Scripture about how God wants to increase joy in our life. The first myth is this, that joy will come when I have more things or more accomplishments. You know, how much of our society lives under this illusion? You know, we're constantly bombarded with that marketing message that it's the newest model, the newest toy, and that is the pathway to joy. Fulfillment comes from having the latest, greatest, and most. Anyone ever seen that bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? You ever seen that bumper sticker? I've seen another one that kind of goes along with it. It also says, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. <laughs> right? There's no prize. You might have heard it said there's no hearse with a trailer hitch, right? You can't take it with you. Whether it's your first car, your new house, or those personal achievements, material things, and accomplishments can bring a feeling of joy. But, but along with that, we know that that joy and that feeling is fleeting and fading. But what the jailer and his family discovered was that real lasting joy is found in relationship. Joy is found in relationship, beginning first with our relationship with Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in the verse we read a few moments ago, remain in me. Stay connected to me. Be to me as a branch is to a vine. Let me be your source of life and strength and security, your source of identity and purpose. And then listen to what Jesus said, so that you will be filled with my joy. So that you'll be filled with my joy. They says, and then your joy will overflow. When you're connected to Jesus, his joy becomes your joy, and it becomes an overflowing joy. How many of you can say amen to Jesus for that today? Right? How many know what overflow means? Overflow means that you can't contain it all. Overflow means that the source that's providing whatever it's providing is bigger than the container. Jesus is saying, my joy will become your joy, and it will be an overflowing joy. The source is bigger than the reservoir. It's more than you can hold. And because it overflows, it spills out of your life into the lives of people around you. The jailer and his family have discovered that this joy is found in relationship with Jesus. As they were connected to their Savior, that night they found, experienced the forgiveness of their sin. They found purpose, they found direction and meaning that says that they overflowed with joy. You know, there's some things in life that can only be experienced to be understood, right? We can talk about this joy. Thomas Trask, he says this, he said, only those who've been born again can fully understand this unique kind of joy because it's heavenly, not earthly. It comes from the one who created you as your heart seeks for ways to worship him. The myth says that joy will come when I have more things and more accomplishments. And because of that, we're always in pursuit of more things and more accomplishments. But Jesus says, joy comes to those who have devoted themselves to something greater than personal happiness. Joy comes to those who have devoted themselves to something greater than personal happiness. You know, a couple years ago, we, anyone remember the ice bucket challenge? Remember, for, we were raising money for ALS, and we dumped ice water. I remember every year this pops up on my Facebook feed. It was uh, 2014. That's how long ago that was. 
And uh, it was, it's fun to be a part of a social cause, but, but even that engagement is fading and fleeting. Jesus said that there's a joy that's spiritually fulfilling and eternally lasting that's found from being in relationship with Jesus. Second way to, uh, to, to grow in joy, joy is found in relatives. I mean, <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, do you know my relatives? Let me talk about this for a moment. It's ironic in the story that the jailer and his family, they find joy by connecting to God, to Jesus. It's ironic because uh, their faith in Jesus brought them joy, but Paul and Silas had done that too, and look where it had gotten them, right? Stripped and beaten, chained together in the inner dungeon. You know, instead of like, yay, joy, they're like, oh, joy, right? Look at us now. If anyone could have been discouraged or despondent, whether they could have been bitter or resentful, it was this, these guys. You know, I can just imagine them thinking in this moment, if only we had been quiet about the Jesus and deliverance stuff, right? But notice their response. They are pressing into their relationship with God, even in this difficult moment. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to guide their thoughts and their response. It says around midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I can just picture them in the dungeon. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And all the, you know, everyone's like, what are these guys doing? Picture it for a moment. Rather than despair or bitterness or resentment, Something was inside of them causing them not only to pray, but to praise God. Overflowing from their relationship was this joy unspeakable. While the rest of the world finds joy because of this, Holy Spirit joy is often in spite of this. Joy is found in relatives. Now I have my, my parents are here my parents over here, you know, uh, joining us this weekend. It's so great to have you guys here. It's such a joy. You guys are the joyful relatives that we love having you, right? What I'm talking about here, though, is, is joy in relatives, not in our family matters, but in relative to this and taking the long view of our situation. In relative to eternity, this moment is fleeting, Relative to the big picture in my destiny, this situation is passing. You know, this situation, these circumstances, although they're difficult right now, they're small and insignificant relative to my life and the eternity ahead of me. There's joy in relatives. Relative to what God can do, I can find joy in this moment. Relative to what God has promised me and purposed for me, this situation is not going to get me down. Relative to what the future awaits for me. See, we can have joy in spite of and not just joy because of the circumstances. The myth is I'd have joy if my circumstances were different. As we already mentioned, it's possible for anyone to experience joy when the circumstances are right. But the Holy Spirit wants to give us an in spite of kind of joy and not just a because of kind of joy. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our failures, in spite of the persecution or oppression we face, this is a defiant joy that stands in stark contrast to the bitterness and resentment that can set in. James 1.2 says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great... Oh, you guys are quiet this morning. Okay. Consider it an opportunity for great... 
joy. This is in spite of kind of joy. Consider your opportunity, uh, the troubled opportunity for the character of Christ to be developed in you. Going back to John 18, we finished just a moment earlier as Jesus shared this, uh, John 16, sorry, these final 48 hours uh, with his disciples. Well, if we jump down to, to chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus tells them this, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me, but the world will, will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly be turned to wonderful so you can have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. joy. There's joy in relatives. Jesus is saying relative to the finished work of Christ, relative to the eternal destiny Jesus has secured on our, half, on our behalf. These, these imperfect circumstances you find ourselves in are momentary, and we can still have great joy. You know, when we tell ourselves, I'd have joy if my circumstances were different, that really the way to increase our joy is to live with the long view of our lives, our circumstances, and our eternal destiny. Notice with me that Jesus doesn't condemn or downplay grief. I just want to say that for a moment. You know, I, it's not that this, this myth that the Christian life is always a happy life. I want you to know this morning that sadness isn't sin. And grief isn't evil or something to be avoided. Grief and sadness are not uh, symptoms of lack of faith. Jesus says here that you will grieve. That there are parts of life that bring sorrow to our hearts. It's a misconception to believe that the Christian life's always the joyful life, or at least the happy life. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus knows all about this. Isaiah 53 says about the Messiah that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. That's our Savior, Scripture says. Jesus knows all about grief and sorrow. But listen to what Scripture also says about Jesus in Hebrews uh, 1.9. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Joy isn't the absence of sorrow. Scripture tells us that God, Jesus, was uh, familiar with deepest grief, and yet he was anointed with joy more than anyone else. Sorrow and joy often reside in the same place. I've heard it said that God is a God of uh, seasons, not seconds. When we look at our life in this second, it can be hard to understand and it, can, it doesn't make sense to us. But when we see our lives, not in the second that we're in, but as a season, and our seasons linked together into the bigger story that Jesus is uh, laying out before us, we see that hope and joy are the themes that are woven throughout. And so we find joy in the relatives. Relative to this second that I'm in, the story that Jesus is weaving together is a story of joy and hope and victory. We have joy in relationship, joy in relatives, and joy in reproduction. Paul and Silas' story, they're wrapping up and the Bible tells us that they're released from prison and, and they kind of apologize. The Roman officials are like, hey, sorry, we kind of messed up. Sorry for the beating we gave you yesterday. You know, uh, here's your clothes back. <laughs> uh, 
You know, I, I just picture them. They're walking out of prison and having been unjustly accused, detained, beaten, bruised. They haven't slept. And listen to Acts 16.40. What do they do? As they left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. And there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. And then they left town. Bible says that they encouraged the jailer in the middle of their circumstances. Having found freedom, now they're encouraging the, the, the disciples outside of the circumstances. You know, the myth that we're tempted to believe is that joy comes by avoiding pain. I want you to know the Holy Spirit joy doesn't avoid pain. I, I remember the, first, the day our first child was born. It was painful. Not for me so much as my wife, but I was watching, you know, the pain of labor, the pain of delivery, all that excruciating pain, you know, to bring forth this child into the world. And then you know what happened? They put that baby girl in her arms and all the pain seemed to vanish. It all seemed to disappear. And somehow we did it like three more, two more times, you know. We're like, hey, let's do this again. You know, the pain was worth it because of the reproduction that it brought. Paul and Silas, fresh out of prison, they found joy in something that can only be experienced. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit using us to reproduce our faith in someone else. If you ever meet a grumpy Christian, not here at Bethel, but I can tell you that they probably haven't reproduced their faith in anyone else recently. Grumpy people are grumpy because their joy is about them. Their spiritual life is about them. Their faith is about them. It's about what do I get out of church? What do I get from Jesus? What does the church do for my needs? How many know that when we are reproducing in other people, when we're investing in people and helping them come to relationship in Jesus, that that comes with a joy that can't be explained, only experienced, right? We'll go through any kind of, it's a pain to raise kids, right? Amen. It's a pain to look after their needs and to help them grow. But as you see them begin to flourish and develop for themselves, there's such a joy and such a pride coming. It's a pain to help someone find faith in Jesus. Like it's, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of care, it takes a lot of conversation, it takes some investment on your part. But when you see them experience the love of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus for their own life, it brings so much passion, so much joy. One of the best ways to increase your joy is to lead others into a relationship with Jesus. Church, this morning, I don't know where you're at. This morning, you might be hearing, you know, Pastor Jer, I've been going through some stuff and it feels like joy's been running low in my life. I want to encourage you today that there's a spiritual joy that's an in spite of kind of joy, not a because of kind of joy. If you're here and you're saying, you know, Pastor Jerry, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been coming to church for a long time, but I haven't felt that joy in a while. I just want to encourage you, maybe make it not about you. To say that to you gently. Maybe it's about helping someone else find that faith that you found in Jesus. Make it about someone else that you're investing in. And I guarantee that it will bring so much joy to your life. But first and foremost, it starts with being in relationship with God our Father.